Hey, this is Kevin Shinnick, writer of Star Wars Force Collector, some Spider-Man comics, some Batman and Flash comics, just a, a lover of pop culture. And you are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm incredibly thrilled to introduce you to Kevin Shinnick. Now, Kevin Shinnick has had his hands in a wide variety of projects across the Star Wars and general nerdy sphere. He has worked with George Lucas on the Star Wars Detours show, which has not been released, but we talk about it in the show, and I would recommend you look into it. It's quite a cool idea. He also wrote the book Force Collector, which I released a review for on my YouTube channel yesterday, as well as on the feed of Comics in Motion, where my other Star Wars show airs. So make sure you listen to that, because it's a really, really cool book, and I want you guys to pick it up where you can, because I just do not think enough people have picked it up and read it. But we do talk about that in this conversation as well. Kevin has also worked with Stan Lee. He's worked on the Spider-Man and Friends animated show. He wrote and produced many episodes of Robot Chicken, including a lot of the Star Wars ones. He was on Where in Time is Calm in San Diego. He has done a huge amount of things and he's a huge history buff as well. So we cover all kinds of different subjects in this conversation. A lot of it is Star Wars, but a lot of it is also writing and producing and his sort of change from being an actor into a writer. Loads of great topics. So no matter what you are in the fandom of Star Wars, Marvel or anything like that, this is is just a fantastic conversation with someone who is in that realm and also creates content and has worked with some of the biggest names in nerd culture. Now there is a video version of this conversation at youtube.com slash genuine chits chat so if you want to see that go check it out because I do also hold up the force collector book itself so you can see what it looks like and a couple of other things there. And also in the description is Kevin's site, my review for Force Collector, Kevin's appearance on the Jedi Talk podcast, which I do mention in this conversation, and loads of other great things as well. So I won't waffle on here anymore, friends. Please enjoy this conversation with Kevin Shinnick, and I will be back at the end to give you more information on what's to come in Genuine Chit Chat and a few other bits and pieces, but always check out the show notes. So without further ado, here is Kevin Shinnick. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people, and I'm your host, Mike Burton. I'm here today with Kevin Shinnick. Now, I could go on and try and list all the variety of things that you've been involved with, but it's it's quite hard because there's so much. It'd almost be a podcast in itself. So I'm going to put the floor to yourself and you can say how you identify as a media creator, as a personality like... Who are oh you, Kevin Shinnick? What do you do? Aside oh, from the Force Collector book, which is something that video listeners will see me ha- putting my hand up to, aside from that book, which is kind of the uh, almost the catalyst of this conversation, what, what, who are you, Kevin Shinnick? <laughs> what, a, what a great question. We could spend the whole hour on that. I don't even think I know the answer to that. But, um, you know, yes, I, I, I'm labeled as a, as a pop culture creator, um, but... Uh, one of the, re- you know, I, I became engulfed in pop culture right, uh, right out of the gate in a sense that I was the, um, uh, you and I have chatted about this. I was the host of a show called Where in Time is Carmen San Diego that was popular here in, in, uh, on PBS in the States. And, um, you know, that was my, my foray into, I mean, I shouldn't say my foray into, into entertainment because I knew coming out of the womb that I was going to be in entertainment. You know, I, I, <laughs> I thought I was going to be an actor, then I thought I was going to be a writer, and then I realized I wasn't wrong. I'm going to be all of them, you know. <laughs> and and certain ones work at certain times. This business is a hustle always. You got to throw a lot of stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And so, depending on what week you talk to me, we'll see what has been sticking to the wall that week. But, um, yeah, I, I I'm someone who enjoys pop culture, and I'm someone who enjoys writing, living, and 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 working in that world. So in a nutshell, that's who I am. 
Yeah, and you're also very, um, and this is not in a derogatory way because I identify as this, but is nerdy adjacent. You know, you've you've written oh. Star Wars, you've worked with George Lucas on you know Star Wars detours, which unfortunately didn't see the light of day for a variety of right. uh, reasons. Primarily, you know, the Disney takeover, but you came up with actually a very interesting point here, and we, we'll kind of dot around at things. Yeah, but with the Star Wars detours, you made a quite an interesting point. I think it was on the Jedi Talk podcast that I recommend to people check out as a really cool interview uh, a couple of years ago, where. Star Wars Detours, it was almost like a, a kind of almost a Star Wars sitcom, like vague, kind of jokey thing you and George Lucas were working on. And then the Disney uh, takeover kind of started to happen. And you had some really interesting insight into why you think it's actually kind of good. It wasn't released after the Disney takeover due to a lot of people's concerns. I wonder if you could just a little bit tell us about that reasoning, because I thought you put it very yeah. eloquently. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, George uh, Lucas had been... He's a fantastic guy, and he's been very generous with his property, um, obviously. This is before he sold it. And I think he saw Family Guy having a lot of fun with it, and he saw us at Robot Chicken having a lot of fun with it. And then at some point, I think he thought, I want to have fun with it. It's my <laughs> property. So he hired a bunch of us from both of those worlds to go up and create this, as you said already, uh, this animated sitcom. And so we went up there, and again... The great thing about the story about Star Wars Detours is, for me, my journey wasn't necessarily to get to see it made. My journey was to go up to Skywalker Ranch and sit next to George and pitch story with him for, you know, three weeks or however, however long we were up there. Um, and I'm, I've said this before, but I'm glad it was three weeks because for the first two, whenever I spoke to him, all I heard was womp, 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 like Charlie Brown, because my head, I was thinking, you made Star Wars, you made Star Wars. I couldn't, I couldn't get past that. And then like after two weeks, he starts to become human and you're like, Oh my God. Okay. So um, we go and sadly, and you know, joyously, we wrote three seasons of this show and produced two full seasons of this show and then um, George sold a company and Kathleen Kennedy didn't think it was the right uh, uh, you know, time for that. And what I noted, though, was when I first saw it, you know, George was going for a very distinct style. He was trying to base the, the, um, the characters on these toys that existed at the time um, or similar to that. But what I had said was in watching the animation Disney at that point had nothing to do with Star Wars Detours when we created it. And yet, if this was the first thing that came out after Disney bought Star Wars, people would have been like, this is exactly what I feared would happen if Disney bought Star Wars. You've got these cute, squat little characters, and it was very Disney-fied. But again, we did that before Disney bought it. So I think Kathleen was right, because when they bought it, as you remember... From the purchase on, all roads led to episode seven. Mm -hmm. No one wanted to put anything out until episode seven was done, and rightly so. But in the meantime, I think what happened was they put us on hold, but then I think Lego Star Wars kind of came in and filled that void of animated comedy regarding Star Wars. So it was kind of a, a perfect storm of him selling the company, it looking like what I would fear... Disney would do to Star Wars if they bought it, which they wound up doing, um, which, they, you know, I want to be clear, they did not ruin Star Wars by making it look like that. But it just so happened to be like, oh, if you told me Disney was going to buy Star Wars, I'd say it looked just like this. Mm -hmm. So that may have had something to do with it. Also, you know, I think to Kathleen's point, it is still a parody. 
And so, I mean, you know, not to give too much away because I still can't talk about it. But if you if you go on YouTube and you look up Star Wars Detours, there are plenty of trailers and clips and segments you can see. And you get the idea, you know, at this point, like Princess Leia was like a Paris Hilton type character. So it's not in canon. And because it's a parody, I think Kathleen was wise to say this is its own thing. Um, but it can't necessarily be what it was. Had George kept the company and he done it, then that's a different story because you've got the creator helping you create something. But it was probably a wise decision. Yeah, it's very interesting, and it, it's one of those things because when dis when I heard about Disney buying Star Wars, I mean, I'm you know I grew up with the prequels, so um, I've got tattoos of Star Wars, and Amazing. Star Wars is like my favorite uh, franchise and things. I love the prequels, originals, and the sequel trilogy, all for different reasons. I right. think the original trilogy is probably objectively the best, but then I think like the prequels is my favorite, even though I'd probably say it's probably the worst, mainly from uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. But then the sequel trilogy, I think, has got a lot of flash and a lot of stuff. Too. To it but it probably has the weakest plot so it's like i like all three really closely for different reasons and certain films i, I love films from all of them uh, don't get me wrong like my top three films are probably return the uh probably revenge of the sith uh, return of the jedi and last jedi so it's like the films that yep. in each of them i love and i you know i like yep. pretty much all star wars content and it's one of those things that when Disney announced it, I was one of the few people, I was like, well, Disney are probably the biggest company in the world for toy manufacturing, for releasing content. They, you know, I think at that time they'd had the Marvel Cinematic Universe for, for quite a while, like a few years, I think, because yeah. it was 2014, the Disney sort of uh, kind of turned over the canonization. And then I think they got Marvel, it was shortly after, it was around Thor ish i think around thor avengers time so i think that was like 2010 2011 so i was like well they haven't ruined marvel you yeah. know and i'm just like and george lucas literally said phantom menace was made for kids so it's like if you're worried that star wars is going to be made for kids it's like george lucas did that that's what jar jar was i don't like jar jar but that's exactly. what he did <laughs> no it's so true and, and you know george has said this excuse me one second i'm opening the door because my dog needs to come in oh he, he will forever be scratching um sorry <laughs> But um, so George is very smart and he knows he's shooting for a certain target. Right. And he gets it every time we as the target age. So, yes, I understand. And look, I was the same way. I was, you know, the original trilogy was what I grew up on and and I loved it. You can't top it. The excitement of getting a prequels. And then, you know, they're not exactly what you wanted, but where I say I want it, but it's because I had aged. And as to you, to your point, I know plenty of people who love the prequels. You know, J uh, George said to us in the room, he's like, if you can grab them, an audience between the ages of six and 13, you've got them for life. Mm -hmm. And and that is the truth, you know, and I'm not saying that because I've spent most of my career in that, in that world, you know, targeting those same people. But um, the other thing I learned about George is George, at the end of the day, and at the beginning of the day, is an independent experimental filmmaker, okay? From THX to American Graffiti. I mean, American Graffiti, you look now, you may not realize at the time, but he was the first person to use music as a bed for the entire movie. I mean, the fact that a car would come by and you hear the song and another car would come by and pick up that song, it was revolutionary. Now... He's an experimental filmmaker. But when he succeeds, we're very happy. We're mm -hmm. like, yes, yeah, Star Wars. When he doesn't hit where we want it to go, we get angry at him. But 
he is still doing his job. He is still experimenting, whether it be visually instead of just the script or whether it's the type of, you know, going from film to digital. He's always trying something new. And and I learned a lot from that because sitting there talking to him about it, it is like, yeah, what's more important? And yes, everybody will say, I want I want to be liked. I want people to love my stuff. But is it better to have your stuff loved across the board or is it more important to push the envelope and hope that everybody likes it? You know, and, you know, I, I like I said, the original trilogy is me. I had problems with the prequels. I have problems with the Disney sequels at times. Same. Um, but George always tried something new, always tried to give us something we hadn't seen before. And for that, I respect him. It may not have always landed with what I wanted, but it was definitely him trying something different. Agreed completely. And I'm, I'm one of those people, and I see this with music and movies as well, is the worst kind of media content is something that's boring and forgettable. I'd rather totally. watch a movie that falls flat on its face but tried really hard than a film that's just like, it just plods along and does nothing different, you know? Yes. And it's like, it's one of the reasons I really like horror films is because horror films, I think much like comics, which obviously you've written a lot of comics and have a lot of sort of comic history as well with your love of spider-man and obviously you've written like superior carnage and guardians of the galaxy comics and lots yep. of other things that you're into at the moment i did warn the listeners we could be here all day talking about the variety <laughs> of things you've done um but it's like with horror one of the reasons i love horror films so much especially when you get more independent horrors less so than franchise horrors which i do also love franchise horrors is there's so much room for experimentation and i yep. think that when you look at sort of 50s to 80s especially uh sci-fi and horror the amount of experimentation in all of yeah. those things is is next level and you know, george changed the game in the original trilogy the cantina scene itself by itself yeah. is one of the yeah. greatest pieces in cinema history because he was like i want someone to be immersed I want it's a it's a space fantasy. There are sci-fi elements, but it's a space fantasy. It's because he paid attention to detail. When you're in that cantina, there is no one who watches that who doesn't feel like you're surrounded by aliens. That was the beauty. Absolutely. No one had really put that amount of effort that landed in background extras that were going to last you yep. know the the guy who played greedo he still does uh or still did conventions for a while you know and it changed his life completely he's he has like what like three lines of dialogue and it took so long to put those prosthetics on him and he's still known but then you go to like just some of the background characters like a deveronian giggling and you remember yeah. you remember the giggle and it's Absolutely. like he put so much effort and jar jar with all of the issues with jar jar and as i said i love the prequels they're not flawless none of the i don't think any star wars or any content's flawless but jar jar changed cgi he was the first fully cgi character or computer generated character in a live action film and it, no one had done that before and george lucas himself and obviously there's lots of other creators in uh, the world who we have a lot yeah. to uh give they we have to acknowledge what they've done but george he as you say he pushed the envelope and i as a fan and as a lover of star wars and film in general i'm I'm just so thankful we have people like him who yeah he got a lot of he basically got a lot of shit for the prequels and you know i'm not saying they shouldn't be critiqued yeah. but he i just appreciate someone was willing to do that I agree completely. I have two things to say about that on, on the tale of that. One is I'm very good friends with Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar. I had a similar reaction when the movie came out. Um, again, I think it was, um, I want to say jarring, but that's, I don't want to use it. <laughs> Jar jarring. But he does, Ahmed does such a wonderful performance. And I think the the big shock to his system, as it would to any of us, was everybody on the set was convinced he was going to be the breakout star that everybody's going to eat him up and love him. And to the, the point being is they did in that age group, 
You know what I mean? But it was the older ones of us that we were like, oh, this is not what I want. This seems too kiddie. Um, you know, George is the first one to point out that people hated C-3PO in Star Wars. He said so much so that that's why Han has so many digs against 3PO and Empire, because he wanted him to be voicing the audience's complaints. Oh, interesting. And then he liked to point out that everybody hated 3PO up until he introduced the Ewoks. Uh, and then everybody hated the Ewoks. And everybody hated the Ewoks until Jar Jar came along. So, you know, it's very funny. And I'm not I'm not comparing it, but it, it's something similar about, you know, I um, I created the last Spider-Man animated series that's on Disney Plus right now called, oddly enough, Marvel Spider-Man as opposed to Ultimate Spider-Man. But I joke with a lot of the writers that people hated Ultimate Spider-Man until Marvel Spider-Man came out. And then they loved Ultimate Spider-Man. You know what I mean? And then Marvel Spider-Man, they had, I mean, it did very well and we got a lot of praise. But there was some, you know, like you said, everything's flawed until it was over. And now they're like, why is it gone? You know, people just need to have something to complain about in the moment. Um, the other thing I wanted to... Um, Oh, bring up, which is, this is my concern for our culture, and I'm probably not the first one to say this, but the great thing about directors in my lifetime, George, Steven Spielberg, a host of others, is that they brought things that influenced them, right? George influenced by, uh, you know, his love of cars, his love of hot rods, you know, got us American Graffiti, got us the pod race scene in, in Phantom Menace. Um, Spielberg, if you see the Fablemans, it's great because you get to see there's all these scenes in the Fablemans, which if you realize they're reflected in the movies, you know, the, the easiest giveaway was, I don't know if you've seen it, is there's a monkey in a scene. And you're like, okay, that's probably why there's a monkey in Raiders. Mm -hmm. And there are so many moments that you're like, oh, that that took shape as this. Look at Quentin Tarantino. He brings his love of sitting in a video store watching these obscure movies. Scorsese does the same thing. We are running out of things for people to have their own quiet interest in because everybody's got the same exposure to everything. And I fear, because I'm already seeing it, that people or directors don't have something unique to bring. And it's kind of flipped itself. When I was young, you'd go to a movie because Lucas did it or Spielberg did it or, or Scorsese did it. Nowadays, and maybe you can prove me wrong, but it's the tail wagging the, do the dog. You watch all the Harry Potter movies. You watch all the Marvel movies. The directors change, but the company behind it is responsible for the look. Hmm. So you don't get a very distinct look. You know what I mean? If I go to see a David Fincher film, I know what I'm going to see. Love David Fincher. <laughs> right? Well, I love Tarantino but if as I well. Go, but if he does like a, maybe he does a Marvel movie, I know it's going to look like a Marvel movie and not a David Fincher movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this new generation or, you know, even Gen Z or even millennials have had someone step out who clearly has a distinct style. There are many great directors who can follow what they're told to do. You know what I mean? Look, you mentioned on the Star Wars movies you love. I love the original trilogy. I love Rogue One. Mm, I love yeah. Last Jedi. You know what I mean? I, I He did an amazing job. But I do concern myself with the fact that I think as a culture, 
we're 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 looking at all the same things, which is ironic because all we're seeing lately are reboots of things that happened in my generation. You know what I mean? All the superheroes, the Star Wars, the James Bonds, Ghostbusters. Yeah, (laughs) Ghostbusters. It's it's either a reboot or a rehash or a remaking. And so what we all have, and now with the internet, we have the same exposure. It's like, where are those Quentin Tarantinos who are watching the Indian movies or the, you know, uh, we have anime now. At some point, people didn't know anime. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we're becoming a little too um, um, gentrified, I think, Mm. in terms of filming. It's a very good point, and I just wanted to point out, like, I love, uh, I love Fincher, I love Scorsese, I love Tarantino. Like, he mm-hmm. is incredible, and it's the, they're people who p- you push the envelope. You know, Tarantino. There's a lot of stuff which, especially now, people critique uh, Tarantino for, and I'm not saying one shouldn't critique them, but it is you have to, you have to be like, well, you, you almost couldn't have this kind of thing that happened in it without this thing. You know, you can't be. Yeah. For lack of a better word, you can't be really edgy and have clever dialogue and things that shock people without having something that potentially goes too far. And I'm not yes. trying to justify things, but it's that kind of thing. Like George Lucas experimented, you know, Scorsese, most of his films have like horrendous amounts of swearing, which I have got an issue with, but also they've got incredible <laughs> cinematography and great characters and all this stuff. But Absolutely. as you say, it's, it's a very interesting point, really, because one example I'd give of that is um, I love um, Edgar Wright, for example. I think he's Me phenomenal. Too. And he was originally going to be doing Ant-Man. And then right. he was the director and then they were kind of wound him back and he just became a producer because he had some disagreements because he kind of wanted to make a really yeah. Edgar Wright-esque film, you know, sort of Connected Trilogy yeah. or Scott Pilgrim, that sort of thing. And they were like, no, it needs to fit in the MCU. You know, in my opinion, a little bit too much. I love the three Ant-Man movies. Um, but with that, it's like, I think Thor Ragnarok was probably the first film obviously made by Taika Waititi. And that's arguably my favorite marvel film where it felt the least marvelly but also loads of people praise it but also a lot of people are like this doesn't feel like a marvel film and it's like do, do you want every film to feel the same or do you want there to be difference and it's i, I hadn't really exactly. thought about that before where you're dead right i remember because i've got uh, i'm a millennial i'm born in the early 90s but i've got two older brothers who are 17 and 20 years older than me so i had the older brothers right. who are like they didn't live with me different uh mum and things but it was one of those things where I'd hang out with them and they'd be like, here's Predator, here's Aliens, here's, you know, Terminator, here's like yeah. all these amazing, cool, weird sci-fi films, here's some random films from Japan. What's it called? It doesn't matter. There's a guy with a yeah. sword that's about 100 foot long and he slices like 50 people <laughs> in one swipe. You don't need to know anything else. Here's Shaolin Soccer. What is it? It's a football film, but they all have like Kung Fu magic powers and stuff. Does it make sense? No, but it's crazy, weird and cool and unlike anything you've seen. And it's, as you say, there's, it used to be following directors but now it is following franchises, which has its benefits, but yes. it is also everything, especially as much as I love Disney and Disney have done some incredible things, it is that concern, which is like Disney owned 20th Century Fox and Marvel, and also they've got obviously Disney stuff and Star Wars. And it's like, yeah. you know, I think Warner Brothers. And the Muppets. Oh, yeah. And, and the Muppets. Picks, I mean, they've got everything. Yeah. And it's a what you know. If they get too much, it's like it's it's through almost one filter. And although I th- I'm hoping and I'm kind of starting to see with the MCU, they're starting to realize. Okay, for the first five or ten years, it's fine to kind of do this. But uh, people are starting to get superhero fatigue. They're starting to get Star Wars fatigue. And yeah. when they do those things, we have to allow experimentation. And I think you know, once Disney will, will now get onto Star Wars and linking with your book, is one of the things. And I, I like all the sequel trilogy movies. I think they're. I think. Uh, Rise of Skywalker is probably the weakest for me, but I enjoy them all. I think they are all good, and I enjoy all of them. I enjoy... Mm -hmm. I think that my least favourite piece of Star Wars content is the Clone Wars movie, but again, 
wasn't aimed at me, but the Clone Wars right. series, I think, is phenomenal. And it's one of those things it where... Is. Yeah, you're right. right. It's, it, it found um, itself. Yeah, and we couldn't have, you know, we couldn't have Clone Wars, you know, some of the stuff with Maul without the movie itself. And we just have to allow people to kind of breathe rather than doing one step. And you're, you're going wrong, step back. It's like, okay, I was, I was going to go in 10 steps in that direction. Yeah. It's like, my example yeah. is Phantom Menace. For me, I really enjoy it, but it's quite slow at points. The pod racing's cool, but really the ending is so good when you've got Maul so and Jewel of Fates and everything. And you're like, it all is kind of worth it for that end. I, I know. I will be the minority and say, I think, and I go back and forth on this, but I think it might be my favorite of the prequels because mm -hmm. there are elements. Yes. Once I got used to Jar Jar, I went back a second time. I was fine with it. Mm -hmm. um, fine within realizing what it was and who the audience was. Um, and that's, you know, an adjustment. But like Liam Neeson is fantastic oh, in that. Yes. You know, the ending, the, the, as you said, the duel of fates at the end, that 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 lightsaber scene is worth the price of admission. I mean, I, I don't even top that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yes, they all have flaws. You know, looking at um, even the current day stuff, it's all about perception. When we was when I was working with George, he talked about how he wanted to do this um, series all about bounty hunters. It was going to be like Deadwood but with bounty hunters. Oof. So then I hear about the Mandalorian and I get all excited thinking it's that now the Mandalorian's fantastic. But when it comes out, I have to do an adjustment because I'm like, okay, this is not what he was talking about. This is something different, which works on its own levels, but it's not. And I'm, I don't mean it as a criticism, but it's not HBO. It's CBS yeah. or it's not Deadwood. It's, I don't know, Xena warrior princess or, you know what I mean? Or something. <laughs> yeah. There's a happy medium. You know what I mean? And so that doesn't mean they can't, they don't get there because you look at uh, Andor mm. and it's got the caliber of acting and the, and the, the, the incredible stories, stuff like that. I think there's a melding of all of them. So they're trying to target different audiences, you know, and, and, you know, and they've succeeded, you know, and, and Grogu was a, a shot in the dark that could have gone very wrong, but it didn't. It didn't, which is which is great. I before we get onto the the stars of the book, we're talking about film again. Mm. After the last James Bond movie, I posted that what I would love to see. Now they'll never do this, but to your point, you know, we're talking about the directors and stuff. Mm -hmm. I need a I need a, a palate cleansing after this last one. I love Daniel Craig. He was like my favorite, you know, Sean Connery, Daniel Craig, and and again, I, I'm a minority. I loved Timothy Dalton a lot, but. Um, what I thought they should do is because they're getting so big and it's, and it got so big was do three smaller movies. Okay. I, I would say, and again, I, they would never do this, but like give three distinct directors, three storyline or, or let them do their own. They could be out of Canon. They can be in the, you know, they talked about Quentin Tarantino doing like a sixties, let him do one. Let Idris Elba star as one. Let there be a female James Bond. Make them for like $5 million and then or whatever. And then release them all on the same weekend. You oh. know what I mean? It's like make it the anniversary of James Bond. And then after that, you can see where the culture led. Did they like this one more than this one? Did they like this over this? It's just you need a palate cleanser before you can launch on. And I know Barbara Broccoli has... Uh, a plan and i'm sure it's going to be wonderful she's even said lately you need a, a a little breather before we can do this but that's what what when the last james bond movie ended i said to myself what do i want after this i don't want to just start over again you know what i mean i want 
maybe a little fantastical or, or fan fiction. You know, I want three or four different James Bonds in different periods with different directors who would never get a chance to do them. And then we can go back to whatever it is they want. But that was, you know, that's how you're going to keep it fresh in my mind. That's a very good shout. And, you know, I'm always up for that thing. And it's like, you know, I could talk about films the whole time. You can't see, but next to me is just shelves of Blu-rays and DVDs and things <laughs> and steelbooks. Because I just love, I love film. I think it's incredible. And it's one of those, I think, Spider-Man to a degree has kind of been doing that. Where you've got, not quite to the same degree, but in essence, because where you've got different people being able to create spider-man in different ways you've got the mcu spider-man obviously which you know people would have seen it by now but you know spoilers uh no way home as obviously connects with the other spider-man movies and things but while you've got that going on you've also got into the spider-verse doing its own thing and that's kind of like yes kind of connected but also it's its own thing and you've got the spider-man games now they're all spider-man they've all got peter parker or mars morales in them but they're all slight variations. They, they've got these different things. Yeah. And multiverse stuff, I don't know what it is, but in the last sort of five years, it's just suddenly multiverse stuff is everywhere. Obviously, you've got the MCU doing it, but yeah, then you've everywhere. got you know Michelle Yeoh's uh, Everything Ever All at Once. And then you've got other things, which yeah. this isn't multiverse, but it's kind of very self-referencing, which is the unbearable weight of massive talent, the Nicolas Cage thing, which is like a homage right. to all of his films. And it's like multiverse exactly. stuff is really coming in. And I'm like... With James Bond, just call it the James. Uh, it would be a terrible name, and don't hire me for the marketing department. But like James <laughs> Bond multiverse, and it's just it's also like you know comics have done it for ages. They do DC Elseworlds, or they do you know Earth six one two, not six one six in Marvel. And it's like, what is this? Well, we can just kind of do what we want with this and experiment. And it's one of those things that with comic space and Star Wars does this as well. Comics are less consumed by people than obviously film and tv and then books kind of the tears in star wars as an example is relatively everyone sees the films a lot of people uh see most people see the live action stuff a lot of people see the animated stuff some people read the books less people read the comics i try and consume as much as i can but it means with comics and that's also uh as you you know because being a comic fan there is a lot of comics that didn't quite hit the mark but they're all because it's its own little space especially sort of pre-internet where comics were by the mainstream especially looked down on before superhero films started becoming you know cool and popular they could experiment and do all these little weird things in the corner and kind of play around with stuff and i think that as you say where franchises are getting bigger and bigger and then one franchise has a film that's slightly different to the others and everyone's a bit like well what's happening here you don't get that level of experimentation so stripping it back and doing that with bond and doing it with i think a lot of other franchises would be really healthy to do and i'd i'd love that idea well in a sense you know uh, dc did it not accidentally but you know obviously marvel always everybody feels marvel was smart they planted the seeds and they always felt dc was trying to do catch-up but i think that joker with joaquin phoenix Ooh, is exactly what i'm talking about now i know they're making a sequel i don't need to see a sequel you know it's like it exists on its own i mean i'm gonna love to see a sequel i loved it so much but what I loved about it was I didn't know where it existed. I couldn't I couldn't predict what was going to happen. I didn't know what the world was going to be in. You know, even the Batman, um, there have been so many now that people ask me, what'd you think? And I was like, well, to be honest, I'm also a theater buff. Um, I treat it almost like Shakespeare now. I've seen all Shakespeare. I've seen multiple productions of Shakespeare. So whenever I go to a Shakespeare production, it's not to say, hey, wonder what, what Taming the Shrew's about. It's to, see, <laughs> it's to see what the actor brings and what the director brings and what do they do differently. And that's how I felt about the Batman. I thought, 
you know, I, I, there are so many I liked. I love Michael Keaton was my Batman. I thought Christian Bale did a wonderful job. I love that one a lot. This one in many ways was great. In many ways it was like, okay, like that, didn't like that, but I could appreciate it because it was different. It took a flavor and showed it me, you know, a flavor I hadn't seen before. And I was like, that's what I'm going for now because we all know if I don't want to see those pearls drop to the ground anymore after, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't yeah. want to, I, I just can't do that anymore. And so you get it. All right, well, this is what we focused on. We focused on this period or that period or whatever. And as you pointed out, you get to do those things in the comics. And so when they're smart, they say, let's take this comic and, and do this chapter, you know, and, and that helps. I think it helps keep things alive and interesting. Exactly. And so that's quite a nice segue into your book, The Force Collector. Well, Force Collector. I keep saying The Force Collector, but it's just Force Collector, just which is quite weird because so many things as always, it's like the blah, 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 you know. The um, Batman. Or well, that's Batman. It, like, exactly. <laughs> so with Force Collector, so one of the things I, I absolutely loved it. And in fact, one of the reasons that made me reach out to you um, was because I posted about it on Twitter and then you very kindly uh, retweeted and said, yeah, because I was like, not enough people talking about it. You're like, I agree. And I was like, oh my God, the, the author saw my thing. So I was like, I'm going to try and poach him and steal him on my show. And it worked. Um, but It worked. It, it, worked. it did. It's amazing. But it's because of you reaching out, you know, it, it's one of those. There's I try and get an awful lot of authors. And I spoke to, you know, Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray and the comic artist Paolo Villanelli and people like that. And I'm, I'm always trying to speak to a variety of people, but this show I have to keep, well, I don't have to, I choose to keep it varied. So as much as I would love to only talk to people right. about Star Wars, I, I do have other interests and things, so I try and uh, vary it up a little bit. Of course. But with Force Collector, it was, it's funny enough, it was a book that people can see in the background, but I'm going to bring it to the forefront uh, for me. There you go, looking at the wrong way again, because I've unmirrored my thing. Um, looking at the wrong way. But basically, the art, I, I know this was not you who created the artwork, so it's kind of a <laughs> kind of a middle finger to you in a degree. But when I saw <laughs> this book and I heard about it coming out, I was like, oh, Force Collector, someone who collects something about you know Force stuff. And I saw the cover and I was like, okay, there's a guy in a deserty thing, but he's got like a training orb and there seems to be a lightsaber there. But then there's also, you know, a Stormtrooper helmet. I was like, what's going on? And then you read the synopsis and it talks about sort of psychometry which obviously is something that was in legends of quinlan voss and things but also is in the canon with quinlan voss as well but also with cal kester's nose sort of thing so immediately the force collector grabbed me and i actually bought it years ago um and then i was planning on reading it i actually when i picked it up and when i because i started reading it i think about six or seven months ago um because i when i started reading it i read a chapter or so but then the high republic came out and i was like oh, i want to jump on the high republic as well right. so i ended up i was kind of like i was like should i finish force collector should i start the high republic i'd only got one chapter into force collector and i was like uh so but everyone in the star wars kind of realm was talking a lot about the high republic and i knew it was this big initiative so i was like well i want to delve in and i want to be able to and i right. have read right. all high republic comics and books and etc but i've always had this and this has always been in the side and i've always been like i, I need to read this when, when i get a free moment when high republic takes a little break which it, it did between phases and things and i was like oh, i finally got time to read the right. force collector and when i picked up and started reading it i was like this is really different to a lot of star wars but it still feels very star wars and i think one of the reasons for that is because it tackles something that again you spoke about in the jedi talk podcast but I, i'd like to speak to you more about it in here and it connects with your love of history and it's the idea that it's something that I think people view as a plot hole in Star Wars, which I think maybe someday it was. But I think one of the beautiful things about Star Wars is, unlike the MCU, which is, is generally you know linear and going forward, with Star Wars where you can right. kind of dot around a lot, 
One of the jokes in my podcasting realm, because I'm known as the Star Wars guy, is someone says, there's a plot hole in Star Wars. And I go, no, no, check with Mike first, because there's probably a comic or a book or something that's come (laughs) out that's kind of, you know, fixed the plot hole in a way. I mean, Rogue One is generally considered the best Star Wars movie of the Disney era. It's just a way to fix a plot hole. Like, it's cool. It's an amazing movie. And everyone who's involved with it did such an incredible job. But you break it down to, like, its simplest form, and it's explaining... How did a space station the size of a moon get blown up by one shot? How did that even... How? Yeah. And there's jokes about it in the Family Guy stuff, and I think Robot Chicken as well. I think everyone's basically been... Because it's it's quite an easy joke, but it's, it is true when you watch it and you start to think about it. But what you did in this book is... It's the history of Star Wars, and people are like, uh, one of the lines that gets quoted in A New Hope is, the ancient religion of Darth Vader. And it was like, it was like 19 years ago. It's like... But because of what Palpatine did with the history, and he did this in both canon and legends, but we'll stick to canon because I know a lot more about canon than legends, and obviously this book is in the canon, is that <laughs> Palpatine, you know, tweaked the history. He he propaganda and the Empire. He branded the uh, Jedi as traitors, and then for 19 years he just was eradicating stuff. And then by the time you get to the era of the sequel trilogy, and this is set, I think, a year or so before Force Awakens or around that era, it's been 30 years since Return of the Jedi, so it's been near like 50-odd years since... Um, Order 66 and that sort of stuff and if you go and you think wow 50 years isn't that long but then you think about current history and 50 years like one comparison I do in the UK is something which I when I found this out I was absolutely appalled which was in England homosexuality was illegal until the 70s and I'm like that that was only 50 odd years ago and like the the concept yeah. of that is so alien to someone you know of my generation and obviously of my my left leanings, but it's just I, I couldn't even fathom that. So in something which is not just a planet or even you know zooming into the UK as a nation, when you think about the galaxy as a whole and how massive it is, the history in it could very easily be split and you even get it in sort of clone wars and prequel era times where there's people in like offshoot worlds who still think jedi just myths and legends because there's only 10 i think 10 ish thousand or 20 thousand odd jedi at at sort of um, in the prequel era and you think i in the in the city i live in there's 230 odd thousand people it's a fairly big city in the uk but you're like it's not even really a city's worth. It's like a town of right. people going across a galaxy with trillions. You know, Coruscant has trillions by itself. Yeah. So history in itself of Star Wars is something that I didn't think, at least in the canon, had really been tackled that much. You know about Palpatine's propaganda. But with this book, it really delves into how what, what do people know? What does the average citizen, right. in a way, know about the Jedi and know about these galactic events that us as the viewer, we're like, of course, Luke blew up the Death Star, and of course, yeah, exactly. because you, you're in We've the front the lines. Exactly. So I want to ask you, like, with the Force Collector, one of the things I loved about it was the history element. And I know you're a big history buff. I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about, or a lot about, uh, the history and how that intertwines with the Force Collector and how it helped you kind of push the writing in that sort of direction. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure to, because, I mean, as you said, I'm a history buff uh, that, you know, was no accident that I was the host of Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego, because it was all about history, and and it really fueled my interests. Um, But, you know, as much of a history buff as I am, I'm still always learning what? As you said, you know, gays didn't have rights until the, you know, they were homosexual was illegal in Britain until in the 70s. Like, I'm always finding things that I didn't realize. And, you know, like you look I, in my position, I looked at World War Two. I thought we've we've taught about World War Two. We learned about it. We know who who fought and who the winners were. But then you see a movie like Dunkirk 
or Schindler's List or regarding the Civil War, you see a movie like Glory and you're like, oh, there's a whole side of this I didn't know. And then I thought, yes, to your point, we've all seen Star Wars. So we know what's happening. We've had a front row seat to it. But what about the people in that galaxy? I said, what are the odds are if I'm only learning now what happened in World War II or I'm only, you know, this old and I'm learning about Japanese internment camps, you know, in the United States. What are the people in that galaxy far, far away learning about this? And it's even greater that, you know, we're talking about our planet and this is a whole galaxy where it's already been established there, you know, on the, on the outscore outs, you know, the outside of it all and stuff. And so my feeling was I wanted to look at it from like a history student's point of view. And I wanted to go to this planet where it was like, you know, maybe like an inner city type world where again, the history books are maybe not up to date, you know, maybe they're, they're, you know, they're, they don't, bring you up to speed. We're dealing with that problem in the States right now about choosing what we're going to teach in history and whatnot. And so I wanted to go through that point of view and say, hey, this is kind of cool. Um, are you familiar with, a lot of people are, the uh, the lost colony of Roanoke? I'm afraid I'm not. No, please elaborate. All right. Well, this is, at least here, it's fascinating, I think. I mean, to a history buff, maybe not to the I, I love history, to clarify. The London right. London Museum of Natural History is my favourite place to go in London. Anytime I visit, I try. It's free. Seen it so many times. I love it. Amazing. So please, go ahead. Amazing. Well, so the Lost City of Roanoke happens where it's under Queen Elizabeth I's rule. They are setting settlers to start the first colonies in the New Americas, all right, in like the 1500s, 1600s. Um. One, I'll vague after people's names, but they get about 115 people to go to create a colony in Virginia. So they get there, they set it up, they're having a little rough time, they're running out of food. So the governor is like, I'm going to take like four people with me. I'm leaving behind 115 people, including my wife, including my daughter are staying here. He goes, it takes him about a year, maybe a year and a half to get back. When he comes back, the entire colony has gone. There's no, there's no proof of his existence except uh, uh, carved on a tree is the word CROA. And they don't know, to this day, they don't really know what happened. They, they, they say, like, did, did Native Americans come and, and kill them? Did they realize the land wasn't good, so they sailed up to Croish, you know, and write, that's what they wrote. But it's a mystery. And I wanted to think there must be so many of those mysteries in the Star Wars world. I mean, to a to a person not in the know, the idea that every Jedi disappeared on the same day because it was when Order 66, we know it was because Order 66 was given. But to think there was an entire army that was like the Renaissance and then they were all gone makes me think, did they did they really ever exist then? You know, how how, you know, it leaves it open to that. I tried to weave in there. My, my version of the lost colony of Roanoke was um, the sand people's point of view about how one of them left and came back and their entire village was decimated. And they don't know why and they don't know how. We know why and how because we saw the movie. But again, if you're missing this information, if you don't know history and you can't possibly know all history. So it, there's always going to be a pocket of intrigue there. That was my in into Force Collector to be to see if someone can come up to speed to show 
two points of view even because again here in the states and in the world really you know everybody seems at odds in a way they haven't in years and years and decades but i wanted to have maze's character be like no they were fake it's a it's a hoax it's fake news <laughs> you know what i mean and i wanted him to be like no i have a connection to this i've got these what i think are powers and they go on this journey together and find out what the truth was and you know no spoilers for the book but it's like I didn't also want to go exactly where you thought you were going, you know? And so that that's kind of how Force Collector came about. Um, I had written a, um, a Star Wars children's book called Chewing the Porgs that was connected to um, The Last Jedi. And um, so I, they asked me if I would do that. And I said, yes. I said, would you consider me for, for more adult stuff? And they said, yes, we didn't know you were interested. To which I was like, Who, who's not interested? <laughs> So I sat with my publisher at Comic-Con. We were promoting um, uh, uh, Chewing the Porgs, and we had lunch on the day I was leaving. And I said, what are you looking for? And he, at that time, he was saying, basically, like, we're looking for something that could stand on its own, but also maybe have different, you know, I think the closest thing he pointed to was, and I think this exists, but like a book that takes place in the cantina, and then maybe you follow a different person so each chapter or every couple of chapters is about someone else's story, almost like a little anthology, whatever. I got on that train. It's a three hour train ride from San Diego to Los Angeles. By the time I got off the train, I emailed him basically what you're reading now. It changed because of parameters and things that had to happen. But I was so inspired by this and thought this is exactly what I want to do. And I that's the day I came up with the title Force Collector. Which I'm glad you like because what I liked about it was I found it intriguing because your first instinct is that sounds grammatically incorrect. <laughs> you, you can't collect force. So, but I wanted you to stop and think about it for a moment. And then you pointed that wonderful cover by Tony Foti is the, um, the illustrator. Um, he brought it to life. You know, he, he sent me a couple of, I think it was two or three ideas or versions and i was like go with this one and make sure we can see the things he's got on his you know the helmet and the lightsaber and all this stuff because i wanted you to be interested from the title from the cover from anything you know you could even you couldn't walk by it without being like hey um and that's that's how force collector came about that's amazing it's it's a great story there, and I actually when you started explaining about that uh, lost um, the lost city of Roanoke, did you say? Yeah, Roanoke. Roanoke. So I think that you did mention that on one of the other podcasts I listened to. So when you were speaking, I was like, actually, no, I, I recall this thing. So yeah, I did know it, but I didn't know it. Um, yeah, I mean, you're dead right there because yeah, the the cover grabbed me, the name grabbed me, and my favorite thing personally about Star Wars is the Force. That that's the thing that draws me into it. Over like you know, I haven't got an issue with uh, Star Trek. I've seen the new movies. I've seen bits and pieces of older stuff. No problem at all with any other yep. sci-fi franchise, but. Stars for me, obviously lightsabers are cool as hell, but for me, I was like, you know, you get this element of magic, but also like spirituality in a lot of ways. And yeah. it's this all sort of interconnected energy. And I was like, this is just quite a cool thing that kind of jives with a degree of my worldview. I've never been particularly religious. I went to like a Catholic uh, school in my youth. Uh, for, my parents, neither of them were especially religious, but it was a good school in the area. So I learned a lot about that and it kind of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth for a while. So in my teen years, I was kind of somewhat anti-religion. Now I have a lot of people on my podcast specifically talking about their religion because I find it so right. intriguing. But for a while, I was just like, nothing 
connects with me nothing feels right and then you know you hear yoda talk about oh we're, we're all just beings of energy and everything connects to us and i was like that that actually is right you know there's there's something to that and there's just these little elements of philosophy and you know morality being you should be good and the idea of what a true jedi should be and you know luke's choice and vader's you know redemption all of these things form together for the idea of you know good versus evil in air quotes but it's more than that so when i saw your book and it was you know force collector as you say it was in air quotes grammatically incorrect but it's like what is he collecting he's got all these trinkets there's clearly someone who's intrigued by something about the force or something to do with that so i love that element and and one thing that i really liked about your book and i think once again you mentioned it in one of the uh, podcasts i listened to was you perfectly towed the line which made a book that is perfect for fans like myself who've consumed next to everything i can get my hands on but also and i We'll continue to say this going forward. I believe that the Force Collector is amidst Claudia Gray's Lost Stars and probably the High Republic sort of first book of the three, um, and Chuck Wendig's Aftermath book as well, are the kind of the big books which are, it do, you don't have to know anything else about Star Wars. Right. You don't have to have seen any content. You in Realistically, you could w- read The Force Collector. You wouldn't even have to have ever seen Star Wars because it actually, True. it takes you on that journey. And it's yeah. so difficult because... I think one of the issues when you have something as big as Star Wars, when you've got the nostalgia, and now you've basically got, essentially, to simplify it, three generations of fans that all want slightly different things. You know, you've got the original trilogy who still want that kind of indie filmmaker feel, you know, and they're just the hero's journey. You've got, like, the prequel generation that, as argument's sake, I'll say this is my view, even though it's not technically, who wants the the fanatical, who wants crazy lightsaber battles and big things happening, but also really dark, horrendous stuff happening because it's all, you know, that's stuff with uh, revenge of the sith and then you've got the sequel trilogy that's kind of clean and a bit more flashy and loads of stuff going on but like the end of the universe is literally imminent and all these big massive everything is this big world ending problem and we all each generation kind of wants something different from star wars and every individual you speak to has a different favorite star wars movie a different favorite star wars character moment everything and it's so difficult and i find with people like yourself trying to you know create these content and especially you know I know Kathleen Kennedy gets a lot of uh, flack from a lot of people. I hold nothing against her or anyone who creates anything in Star Wars because at the end of the day, regardless of what some of these people on YouTube are saying that are hate mongers, no one is trying to ruin Star Wars. People no. bl- said George Lucas was trying to ruin Star Wars when he made right. The Phantom Menace. No one involved in Star Wars is trying to ruin it because Star no. Wars means something different for all of them. But That's trying it. to create something that appeals to everyone it's so difficult, but I I think with Force Collector, you've really managed to toe the line between, if you're a fan like myself, there's lots of little things like, oh, cool, Doc Ondar, I know him because of Galaxy's Edge, or, oh, that's a reference to the Clone Wars, or all oh, this, but right. if you don't know about these things, you're like, oh, there's this hammerhead-looking dude who owns this cool antique shop on this planet. That's quite a cool thing. So <laughs> yeah. did you, when you went into that, I kind of already know the answer, so I'm playing coy, but I already tell the audience, <laughs> did you consciously think that when you were writing the book, or how did you kind of get that balance together? Because you yourself are quite a big Star Wars fan as well, so it's, obviously you yeah. have to be to write a book of Star well, Wars. Well, you know. no, it's a great question, and first of all, let me say I appreciate you putting me in the same light as as claudia and all those other books because i was a huge fan of those books before i even did mine um and for that same element you know what i mean i i tend to like not the smaller stories but something more relatable i think that's what i always go to and sometimes when it gets too like growing up i loved my my main guy was spider-man 
Then after that, it was a lot of DC, like Batman. I love Superman the movie. Superman the comic for a while, I lost interest in because it was otherworldly. He was on different planets. He was fighting cosmic, whatever. And I lost the relatability. So that's why I, you know, I gravitated more towards Batman or Spider-Man or someone that, you know, I could be or maybe it might happen to me. Ground you know, level. Exactly. Exactly. So with um, Force Collector, I look. I've. I was joke. I, I've written Star Wars for every age possible. The Chewie and the Porgs, you know, is a children's book. I write for the Robot Chicken Star Wars specials. Did three of those. That's pretty adult. You know, um, I wrote Force Collector for the Everyman. I can talk Star Wars with the best of them. But it was a challenge. But I also knew I wasn't writing this book for me. I was writing this book for an audience. You know, and as much as I could sit here and chat with you for hours about the minutia and stuff like that we love, I know the average person I want to attract. I want to not scare away. Um, you know, I I was asked to pick up on um, uh, a DC Comics call and said, would you pick up uh, Run on the Flash? And I said, absolutely. And of course, they, 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 they prefaced it by saying, Everything that's ever been done with the Flash that's worth doing has been done. Would you like to take a crack at it? <laughs> I was kind of like, <laughs> well, you're really setting me up for failure here. But again, and I loved all the right people who wrote beforehand, but in, in my mind as an audience member, as a viewer, it got so big that I had difficulty cracking it because I couldn't just pick up the latest issue and not uh, and without knowing what happened 20 episodes or issues before – so in my flash run, I wanted to kind of go to brass tacks, just go simplify again. And again, that's what I did with Force Collector, where I was like, let's make it relatable. We all have problems being seen. We all think we're destined for greatness, if possible. We all have challenges to go over. And Star Wars is a pretty amazing world. Pretty amazing, too, that it does reflect our own in many, many ways. So I, my, my challenge to myself was don't write this for yourself. Don't don't do a deep dive that, oh, wow, he knew blah, blah, blah. Who cares that I know blah, blah, if you don't even know Star Wars? So as I've said before, you know, I want to write a book that was for the person who loves Star Wars and the person who has never heard of Star Wars. So uh, and this this uh, this will dovetail into a story. Um, so this book came out, came out in, in conjunction with uh, Rise of Skywalker, episode nine. But of course, I had a hand in it a long time before. So I told you about that train ride in Comic-Con. And then when I got there home, I called my publisher. I said, I have his idea. And he said, I love it. Let me try and pitch it. So a whole year goes by. I don't hear a thing. And I'm like, oh, this is maybe not going to happen. And then uh, he calls and says, good news. It got greenlighted. And I was like, fantastic. He's like, we need it in three months. And I was like, whoa, 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 I, I think you misunderstood. I'm talking like a 90,000-word novel. He's like, yeah, so are we. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, that's impossible. And, of course, I'm hearing Luke say that to Yoda. And I'm like, oh, they're throwing the words back in my face. So I kill myself to, I, to be honest, it took me like four months to get a first draft in. So I send it in about uh, November of 2018, um, a year or more before Episode Nine. So I'm waiting for the notes, waiting for the notes, hoping they don't pull too much out and stuff. And then they call and they say, well, we have a problem we didn't foresee happening. And I said, what? They said, well, somehow, without knowing it, 
you've written a huge section of episode nine. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and so I made light of it. I was like, you got me on the wrong thing. I should be writing the movie. And we all laugh. And they're like, yeah. Anyway, you got to change yours. And I was like, oh, my God. But the only saving grace was, you know, this movie is, or oh, this movie, this, uh, it's Freud talking. <laughs> this um, book is, in a sense, a road trip. And the character characters evolve together, but they do go to different places. And I just had to change some of the places they went to. So it didn't affect the story in terms of like where he starts and where he ends and his relationship with Maze and, and, you know, and RZ7 and all that. But I did have to go in and make some, some big changes that said some stops that they made. But, um, but when you're working on a, a, a book that doesn't lead with, I don't want to say with plot, but it was not so Star Wars heavy in regard to that, you're able to be a little more malleable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it's linking in with what you said uh, about Spider-Man and that element is, you know, I I do like when there is a big, when there are big stakes, you know, it is when you're in the cinema, especially it's thrilling. I love cinema experience, you know, and you feel it, everything is there. It's like, oh, you know, but there is that part of you that goes, there's not many movies that actually let the world end. It doesn't yeah. really happen. So you always go in and especially with, like, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm up to date with mm-hmm. everything with it, but I know when I watch, say, maybe this is a mild spoiler, but you watch Ant-Man 3, you don't think Ant-Man's going to die in it because Uh, his name is in the film. And the only, the problem is the only time like main characters die in the MCU is when the film is an Avengers movie. That's, if they're a side character, yeah, they can die. But normally if they're a side character who started in the first film and you're on the third movie, yeah, they may, you know, die in that. But you're not going to kill Thor in a Thor movie. That's just not going to happen. So there is that part where it does take away a little bit from there but when you've got um, a content like force collector where it's like aside from a few people who show up who i won't spoil for because i do want people to pick up this book and it's such a fun ride apart from a few people who show up you don't know what's going to happen and there are moments where it's dramatic and you're like what could happen to this character or that character and things do happen as well so it's like things have weight behind them and things do happen when you read you know everyone loves luke skywalker but they're not going to kill luke skywalker in a book they're right. just not going to. Exactly. So you know going in, and that is, I think, some of the issue with some of these franchises, and that's one of the reasons I love this book so much is because it's fresh. It's it's new, and it still feels Star Warsy. It has those connections. And linking in with that, I wanted to ask, I know we're starting to get towards the end of the hour, so I won't take up too much right. of your time, but one thing I wanted to note is something you said in, in, in one of the other uh, podcasts was I just found very so- Oh, it's very sweet. Was um, you name Maze after your daughter? So yes. I just think that was quite sweet. So for you, with Star Wars, this is um, potentially quite a big question. But I like to ask people: Is what is Star Wars to you? Just as vague as that is, what when you think Star Wars, what do you just what kind of comes to mind immediately? Oddly enough, it's what we started the conversation about: is childhood and where I was when that movie came out who I was when that movie came out, who I wanted to be when that movie came out and all the connections. Um, it's funny because I, I think about this often where I'll just be in something and, and gravitate to my happy place. And I think a lot of us, our happy places are experiences we had when we were younger. Maybe it's because the game of life hadn't started yet. Maybe because not much was expected of us. Maybe because we were able to lose ourselves in a movie and not have to worry about something when we got home. Um, 
you know, uh, not only did I name uh, Maze after my daughter, whose name is Maisie, um, but my grandmother was a, a very big uh, factor in my life. And I was very close with her and and she and I would go to the movies. And I remember, you know, not only Star Wars, but I remember she and I at the opening of Rocky Three. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's something you wouldn't expect my grandmother to be at. And so I dedicate the book in the front to Josephine Viola, who is my grandmother, because, um, you know, Jahara plays an important piece. She's Carr's grandmother. And I think of all those hours that I just talked and talked and talked and talked to my grandmother and at my grandmother about film, about the future, about life, about all these things. And I'll be like, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But uh, she played an important part. So I think, you know, Star Wars, my grandmother, my childhood, it's all wrapped up together. Yeah, that's amazing. And Star Wars is one of those things that's one of the things I love the most about Star Wars is it means something different for everyone. And it has that connection. And I think we'll wrap up. We'll start to wrap up. But. One of the reasons with Force Collector, I think, unfortunately, I feel like it deserves to be held up in regard with all these other Star Wars books uh, that I've previously mentioned. But I think one of the reasons it potentially didn't was because of Star Wars fatigue, which is what we've spoken about. And, you know, once again, not I'm not targeting Kathleen Kennedy here or anyone no, specific at Star Wars, but they did The Last Jedi, which is the most divisive Star Wars film, I think, ever. You know, when The <laughs> Phantom Menace came out, most people hated it and generally regarded it as bad. When, you know, the original trilogy came out, most people regarded it as good. With Force Awakens, people generally regarded it as good. Force Last Jedi is simultaneously people's least favourite Star Wars film and their favorite, like some people despise it and some people think it's the best Star Wars yeah. film ever made. And I've got friends who... Yeah. who seemingly like everything the same but for different reasons the last jedi was so divisive and then for some reason i'm sure disney had the lucasfilm had their reasons but they were like instead of releasing solo in a year like we've been doing with all the other films we'll release it in six months after the most divisive styles film ever made and then (laughs) unfortunately that i feel took some of the weight and some of the wind out of the sails for things leading up to the rise of skywalker and unfortunately because your book is in the multimedia project of the road to the or the journey to the rise of Skywalker. I feel like un, unfairly it was, you know, pulled back, a, not, not by publishers or anything, but people pulled back a little bit from it. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. In fact, I've talked about this and I think it's exactly what you said. I think last Jedi happened. And then, uh, you can argue Han Solo, whether you liked it or not, didn't do well at the box office because it was on the heels of last Jedi. Now we had the flip, which was all roads were going towards episode nine. But then the Mandalorian came out two months before and then all anybody wanted was Mandalorian. So they were all on like, you know, I think I'm done with the, the movies or something, you know, not totally, but their interests were on this brand new shiny toy as opposed to the third trilogy of the, of the sequels. And I think it did, it did have an effect on not just my book, but other books that were tied into it. You know, the irony being, it Force Collector doesn't really need to have that journey towards the rise of Skywalker on it. They, it, everybody gets marketed the same, and I was grateful to be part of that. But we didn't foresee a fatigue happening that people are kind of like, ah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna need to watch that, or I don't want to watch that, or read that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I feel like it should have been. Re- Obviously, you didn't write it at this time, so you know it's impossible. But it feels like it would have fitted in much better as Journey to the Force Awakens because 
just its timeline Absolutely. and some of the things in it. And it doesn't Absolutely. spoil anything from Force Awakens. And there's a couple of connections I won't spoil. And it would work so much better, I think, if that had happened. But I will do anything I can to raise this book up because I, I just think it's fantastic. That. I really do appreciate that, Mike. Uh, I, that means a lot because I, I had such a great time uh, writing it. And when someone like yourself resonates with them to the level of which I enjoyed doing that, it really makes my day. Yeah, I, I genuinely, it's I hold it up as one of the best Star Wars books in the canon. And I, I'm not just saying that because you're here. I've actually, I recorded a book review, funnily enough, of this that I was only going to release on my Patreon. But when I thought, I'm going to try and speak to Kevin Shinnick, I'm actually going to release my uh, Patreon book review like the day before. I'm like, I've got a Star Wars podcast and I've got Genuine Chit Chat, the main one. So I'm going to release the, the book review Force Collector that I recorded way before talking to you. And that will confirm I loved it. I think it's incredible and it's one of my favorites. So as we'll wrap up here, last sort of things is what if if there's anything you can tell us about your future and anything else that you're kind of generally up to. I know you're busy and there's loads of crazy stuff that you're involved with, but just anything else you're involved with uh, and final sort of things before plugs. I'll give you an opportunity to do plugs afterwards, but just any yeah, final you know words what? you want to say or anything I, at all. I've tried to, um, I mean, there's tons of stuff. You, you got to throw a lot at the wall, like we said earlier on. You know what I mean? Um, I'm in a, in, a, in a little bit of a space where I'm really enjoying and wanting to create uh, some original comic books. Hmm. And I'm I'm involved with a couple of artists doing that. Um, I'm. It's so funny because... This day and age, as you've said, there are so many weird things that ideas come from or you, you pair up with things. But I'm creating an animated series out of an NFT called Little Heroes. And that's something that, you know, two years ago, I wouldn't know what that was. You know what I mean? So it's funny. You know, this goes back to our conversation about how they are interconnected and how they'll come to you and say, is there a hole or do I find someplace the answer someplace else? Because I think we're living in a different culture obviously, where they're written like that on purpose, you know, because it is a multiverse and they do want you to find them everywhere they're available. The best example being, you know, Force Awakens, C-3PO is there with uh, a red arm. No one talks about it. No one discusses it. But there's a comic book, you know, that, that finds the answer. Uh, and I know things are created like that on purpose now. And it's just a little shift to figure that out. Um, I do have uh, possibly a tease of something Carmen San Diego related that I might return to uh, in one shape or form. That's all I can say about that. Um, look, I have a sequel to Force Collector in mind, but I don't know if it'll ever happen because, like I said, the Star Wars universe is very uh, fluid. And they go where they think there's interest in whatever. And, and so who knows? But I definitely have an idea. Um, but yeah, you know, I my entire career, if you look at everything I've done, I've gravitated to my interests and things that I like. Um, on the off chance that someone's hired me to do something that I wasn't familiar with, I find something that really makes me interested in it, you know, because that's the only way I can do anything. I approach everything I do as an audience member first or a reader or, you know, and so I want to be entertained just like everybody else. We, as you pointed out, we all have different tastes. You know, this book force collector is not uh, action from page one till the last page. You know, it's, it's more of a thoughtful 
there's there's risk, there's stakes, there's all those things, but in a different form than just fights. You know, there are some fights and things like that, but sometimes people grab gravitate away from that because of that. But for me, it all starts with character. And even your biggest action heroes, if you if you hook me with their character, I'll stay along for the ride as long as possible. I think George did that. I think a lot of the people that I admire do that. And hopefully I'll continue to do that in any of the projects that I've got coming out that hopefully you'll look for. Oh, 100%. I definitely will. And as you say, the main character, Carr, it's his growth, his journey, and it's discovery and his connection with Maze. And one other little side thing I love as well is they have opposing viewpoints of yep. things, but they get along. They have a connection. They have a mutual respect for each other and an intrigue as well when they first meet. And it's that thing of you can be friends with someone if they do have a different perception of things to you, yeah. as long as they're not a dick about it. And that's all it is. <laughs> exactly. As long as you're just, you respect each other's view, you know, I don't think that what you're saying is true, but I'm going to let you talk about it and elaborate. And if you want to go to this place and learn more about it or something, I, I'm happy to either help you or come with you and learn these yeah. things. And that's one of the a real nice little thing. It's not the main theme of the book, or is it not even necessarily a main part? It's just an element of the book that I discovered. And I, I'm... I'm not saying that there is or isn't romance in this specifically, um, but I'm saying I am just a sucker for like teenage either romance or friendships because one thing I do love about when you have characters who are younger, much kind of like what you were saying about earlier with your memories of uh, when you were a kid before the weight of the world comes on you. Yep. It's it's not quite innocence. It's kind of pre-innocence, uh, like post-innocence. is early teen years when you get into a relationship with someone, not like a a girlfriend boyfriend relationship sort of thing i just mean a friendship of any kind when you're an adult there's all these there's all this weight behind it it's all this am i going to have time for this person if it is in a, in a sort of uh, physical relationship sense is it am i going to spend my life with them and um, are they financially viable do they want kids do i want kids all these sort of elements when you're younger and you're sort of you don't have to worry about mortgage payments and things like that you're just like do is this person cool yeah well i'm gonna hang with them and, and it's and it's that simple and it's like if it is a like an attraction thing or something it's not thinking oh do, do they want kids do they want a dog do, can they drive is if they can't is that going to affect how if we none of that it's just are you cool do we drive as people yeah then l let's do it and that's one of the things I, I love so much about these characters which you it's very human it strips away some of the, for lack of a better word, the modern day bullshit. It's necessary. You know, my day job is working in insurance. It's not exciting, but it's essential for a lot of how the society functions. But it's not that exciting to talk about, but it is still necessary. But it's not human. And that's what I love. The core of this book is it's about the Force. Yeah, it's about Star Wars, but it's a human journey. It's a human yeah. story and it's about human connection. Yeah. And that's one of the things that really sticks with me in the book. And that's one of the things I loved about the character you've written. So I just want to say, I appreciate you and everything you've done in that book for that. So just thank you once again. No, thank you for reading and for promoting it. Because like I said, I write it for me first, but then I'm writing it for people like you. Wonderful. So final sort of things with plugs, uh, I'll include links in the description to everything else that you are up to, but uh, just let people where they can find you and keep up to date with all of these incredible things that you've teased us with. Yes. Well, I guess the easiest way is social media. And I'm lucky that I, it's just at Kevin Shinnick and Shinnick is spelled S-H-I-N-I-C-K. You could find me there. I'm also at kevinshinnick.com uh, for updates on things. Um, but yeah, between Twitter and Instagram and the website, you, you'll find me. 
absolutely wonderful. So I will stop the recording here in one second, but I will say, hang on, because I want to ask you something off air. Um, But just thank you so much for spending the time. I hugely appreciate it. And I know that people who are listening are going to really hear that the passion that you have for everything you've been involved with, with the Spider-Man stuff you've been involved with, with the comics that you've been creating, with Force Collector and all these other projects you've got going. One thing I picked up from all your uh, podcasts and everything like that, and one of the things I was so excited to speak with you is because you are passionate. And it's uh, that's all I ever want from a guest is just someone who is passionate about their own thing, about whatever it is they're putting out into the universe. So I really appreciate the passion, the drive and everything that you've achieved so far and what you're going to achieve. So just... Yeah, thank you for genuinely being an inspiration to show that nerds like us, we can you can be nerdy and love all these crazy things when you're of a kid, course. but if you have no, determination. That's of, that is sweet of you to say. And and you know, I guess I shouldn't take it lightly, but it, it's true because you you really need to find the passion in life, and that's what gets us through the day sometimes. You know, sometimes I stop and think to myself, this comic book that I really liked that I just read or I didn't write or something like that. That got me through today because I was so, uh, you know, hyped by it. You know, find things that you're interested in. Pursue the things that you like. You know, just because you have one job doesn't mean you can't have an alternate. Follow what you love. You know, read about it. Spend time with those people, which is what you're doing too, Mike, by bringing us all together. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. It's been a genuine delight. So I just, I appreciate it. Of course. And that's the end of the podcast. Wasn't that such an amazing conversation? So thank you so much for listening to the show and making conversations like this possible. Your support is always appreciated. Make sure you listen to my review of The Force Collector that was released the day before this was on the feed of Comics in Motion and also on the feed of Star Wars Comics in Canon. Also make sure you check out Kevin's website, which is in the description, and his appearance on the Jedi Talk podcast in 2020. Now, for other Star Wars-related things, the first episode of the weekly Mandalorian discussion show is out now as well. It's on the feed of Comics and Motion, and the video version is on YouTube too, so you can check that out. In line with that, myself, Math, and Dave have released the first episode of our Rebels reviewed show. We went through all of Season 1 of Star Wars Rebels and just discussed it in things. Math has never seen it before, so it's a very exciting thing to talk about, especially for me. You should all know my opinion on Star Wars Rebels. It's my favourite piece of Star Wars content that exists. And we will be watching Season 2 of that once Mandalorian has all finished in a couple months' time. In addition to that, there is my Star Wars show, Star Wars Comics in Canon, where I review books, but primarily focus on the comics of the Star Wars realm. So you can listen to every episode of that on the feed of Comics in Motion or on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash genuinechitchat, which, as I said in the intro, the video version of this conversation is there, and all of my conversations are in playlists. So if you want to hear my conversations with other Star Wars authors, including Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray, or the comic book artist Paolo Villanelli, or some other individuals who are involved in Star Wars in some capacity, please check out the Star Wars Conversations playlist on my YouTube channel. Channel, or just type in Star Wars when searching within the feed of Genuine Chit Chat and they will all come up. My Star Wars podcast, Star Wars Comics in Canon, comes out every week and you never have to have read a single Star Wars comic in your entire life to enjoy it. The elevator pitch for it is I go through the plot details specifically so that you don't have to pick up the comic so you get a good idea of the plot and some other interesting elements along the way, including species and characters and planets that pop up and I give some bio information on those too so you get a wider understanding of the Star Wars canon without having to pick up every single comic. But if you have read the comics that I tackle in each episode, it serves as a really good refresher and then I go through additional details that you may or may not have been aware of when reading those comics so if you want even more Star Wars content without having to spend any money at all and get some really great Star Wars stories please consider checking out Star Wars Comics and Canon as well as all the other Star Wars projects that I'm currently involved in
In line with that, I've done a few guest spots recently, and they all seem to have been around Star Wars too. I was on Stevie B's Star Wars podcast on YouTube, links in the description. I was on Ike's Flame podcast to talk about High Republic Phase 1. That is on any podcast app under Ike's Flame, but links to both of those are in the description. In addition to that, you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash genuinechitchat. For as little as £1 a month, you get access to over 150 bonus episodes that you can't find anywhere else. That is TV movie reviews that myself and my partner Megan do. That's reviews of Star Wars Legends books, where I go through the plot as well of those in general and also give my thoughts on them. I've done the Darth Bane trilogy, I've done Shatterpoint, I've done Darth Plagueis, I've recorded my Revan review, I've released uh, Rogue Squadron, which is the first in the X-Wing series, loads of things like that, lots of Star Wars stuff, lots of non-Star Wars stuff, and it's a really good way to not only support the show, but you get at least one bonus episode every single week, and as I said, there are currently hundreds on there, so please consider checking that out if you enjoyed conversations like this, because all of my Patreon supporters are the reason I managed to have such amazing conversations with Star Wars authors, such as Kevin Shinnick, so if you want to help me continue that, share the show on social media, review it on Spotify, Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, tell your friends all about it, contact Kevin Shinnick on social media and tell him how much you enjoyed listening to him come on my show. And of course, supporting me on Patreon. Because thanks to my wonderful Patreon supporters, I was able to afford a audio recorder that I'm going to be taking with me on Star Wars Celebration. And hopefully I'll be able to speak to some other Star Wars people there and get some cool little mini interviews going there too. So just a big shout out to all my Patreon supporters. I love each and every one of you. You've done such an incredible job supporting me financially. And I know you've all been loving all the bonus content because I'm always getting messages from you there. So thank you to everyone who supports me in all of those capacities. But what have we got coming up? Well, I have got a conversation recorded with BZ The Voice and Ms. Tonya Todd, we speak for over an hour about religion, more specifically their religious preferences that align more so with Christianity, but they talk about the differences in their religious beliefs and the umbrella of Christianity, how they found religion, why they found religion, what kind of elements they find really helps them in life, their connection with God, all kinds of elements like that is something that I'm finding more and more interesting to kind of delve into as I myself am not a religious individual, but much like my conversation last week with Jennifer Sterling, it's just quite interesting hearing how others perceive the universe and how they kind of find their place within it and how a lot of them find religion really helps them in that. I've also got some very exciting podcasts due for recording over the coming weeks. Disney Discussions number six will be recorded in early March time. That's going to be talking about underrated Disney animated movies. I'm the host this time and it's going to be Empress New Groove, Atlantis The Lost Empire and Treasure Planet. In addition to that, I've got a conversation recorded with a indie filmmaker who has also worked with Marvel on quite a few things. So I'm very excited to speak to that individual. I'm also speaking to someone who is an expert on glass blowing. So that's a really, really cool thing. I can't say explicitly who yet, but if you watch the Netflix series Blown Away, you will see this person within there and I'm also appearing on a few other guest spots I'm doing classic comics in a few weeks as well which is Matthew B. Lloyd's show that'll be on the feed of Comics in Motion I'll be appearing on Alison Shelton's Instagram live show that's also on YouTube which is the poem which is talking about a poem I'll be creating called Where I'm From and then there's a few other guest spots and things on some new shows that I will be doing over the coming weeks as well. So I'm a very, very busy individual, as well as it being my birthday soon, and also Megan's birthday soon, and going to Star Wars Celebration, and everything else I am up to. So if you want to keep up to date with everything that I'm up to, obviously make sure you check out the show notes, follow me on social media, at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook, but also you can subscribe to the Pop Culture Collective newsletter. It is a weekly newsletter, and in there I talk about all of the things that I've been up to, as well as loads of other amazing creators contribute to it, including Tony Farina, uh, Spider-Dan from Spider-Dan the Secret Balls, the Femon Collective, uh, members of Comics in Motion, Steve J. Ray, loads of individuals I've either had on the show or that I've collaborated with in a podcast sphere because Super Dummy Paul, aka Paul DeMac from Era of Geek and Dummy's Guide to Geekdom, he put this whole initiative together, so hats off to him. A link is in the description to subscribe and it's a perfect way to keep up to date with what myself and all the other amazing individuals are up to without having to follow every single person on social media. 
But that is enough for me, my friends. Thank you so much, as always. Your support is appreciated a huge, huge amount, and everything that you've done has made conversations like this with Kevin Shinnick possible, and all the other amazing conversations I've had with Star Wars content creators as well, and all the other non-Star Wars creators that I've had the joy of speaking with too. So just thank you once again for supporting the show, as always, and I will speak to you next week, likely with a conversation with BZ and Miss Tonya Todd. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.